welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. the proper mental podcast this is episode 123 123 how nice is that very neat and tidy my guest this week is Yvette Castor who is an award-winning freelance journalist who regularly writes for some of the most well-known media outlets about travel and food and sex and mental health and since 2017 she's also co-hosted the acclaimed podcast Mentally Yours alongside Ellen Scott and in that time they've interviewed some incredible people about all aspects of mental health and mental illness and everything in between And Yvette has a diagnosis for bipolar disorder and binge eating disorder. And in this episode, we talk about her early experiences with mental illness and everything that came with it. Yvette first started to experience these things at a very young age. And we talk about how bipolar came into her life and the time that she spent in a young person's mental health facility. But also what it was like to come out of there and have to go back to college and to university and do all those normal young people things while navigating a mental illness that at this time hadn't been officially diagnosed. We talk about bipolar mania and manic episodes and what it's like to be in one of those episodes. And we talk about the depression that quite often follows a period of mania and just how Yvette sort of navigates these things and how she's learned to manage them and take care of herself over the years. We also talk about her more recent diagnosis of binge eating disorder and how she's navigating everything that comes with that. And I think that's a really important part of the conversation that a lot of people will relate to because it's probably more common than people realise. It's also a part of the mental illness conversation that maybe doesn't get the same amount of awareness I suppose certainly not the same amount of compassion from society anyway as some of the other mental illnesses will do and there's a lot of stigma and a lot of shame and a lot of guilt that comes around emotional eating and disordered eating and anything sort of food related really so that was really important to talk about I felt if it's got an incredible story it's a big story um, I was really moved from chatting to her I could really feel the the depth of her story you know I could feel the emotional weight of it even through zoom it felt like a lot and it kind of reminded me how complex this whole mental illness and recovery thing is you know and when someone is experiencing a mental illness you know they can get to a place where things are a lot better and they know how to manage it and they know how to look after it but there is still everything that came up to that point you know there's still that history of like the the carnage that the experience like lays waste to if that makes sense, you know, and all the things that you have to deal with and a lot of grieving almost, you know, grieving for the life that you thought you were going to have or the life or the life that maybe you could have had, you know. And yeah, that really came across when I was talking to a vet, you know, she's been through a lot and I just can't thank her enough, you know, for sharing her story with me and for being so honest and so open talking about such difficult things in amongst all the emotional stuff we laugh a lot too um it was a really lovely episode and i felt really good afterwards so that's always a sign it's been a great chat you can follow yvette on social media and there's links to her websites in the episode notes as well her podcast mentally yours like i say it's been going since 2017 so there's a lot of them you can get that wherever you're listening to this one and if you're not sure where to start i was on there in 2021 i think it was around about october time So if you're going to start anywhere, you might as well jump in there, right? But they've had some incredible guests over the years. 
you could probably jump in anywhere and get a great listen. So I highly recommend that you do. All my stuff is in the episode notes. If you want to get hold of me, have a dig around there. You'll find the best way to do it. And if you could take a minute to review this episode or any other episodes of the Proper Mental Podcast, it really would be appreciated. And this is episode 123 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Yvette Caster. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest today is Yvette Caster. How are you, mate? Yeah, um, not too bad, thank you. Yeah. Good. That's good to hear. It's, I always think it's nice when we can kind of kind of say that and kind of at least half mean it, right? You know, we spend a lot of our time <laughs> saying it and not really meaning it. Oh, we, mm, okay. So it's a Friday. So that is the thing that I'm pleased about. You know, we're yeah. recording this on a Friday. So getting ready for the weekend. So that's what I'm focusing on. Um, if, if you want to get into the deep stuff already, I have just found out my dad's got Alzheimer's. So I'm quite in a bit of a weird place. <laughs> Oh, Vet, I'm so sorry to hear that, mate. Really yeah. sorry. You didn't have to go through with this today. We could no, have, it's um... that's cool. It's it's honestly fine. Um, but actually, with you just sort of saying that about you know how we don't always say how we actually feel. Yeah, I'm in a in a, in a slightly weird place, I think. Yeah, um, but I'm yeah. totally. I'm always happy to talk about yeah, my mental health story and like the work that I do. Um, so that's weirdly like quite a comfortable place for me to sort of chat about yeah I suppose sometimes these things can also be um distracting isn't it when we've got a lot going on sometimes it's handy to have things on in the diary that we that we want to do and then that kind of keeps us ticking over right oh yeah 100 percent. I mean I'm definitely yeah queen of working to sort of take my mind off stuff sort of yeah yeah definitely. do you do you find do you find it hard to um have that balance because I know like I distract myself through work I know that I do it and I'm happy to do it sometimes because it means I get a lot done but there's also times when I kind of think oh hang on a minute here I've been so busy distracting I'm sort of causing <laughs> causing other problems further down the line do you are you okay at navigating that balance I think I'm learning to get better is the totally honest answer a hundred percent when I was younger um when I was starting out in my career as a journalist I was really sort of full-on and yeah definitely if if i was dealing with difficult emotions or difficult things in my private life i would totally throw myself into work so that was great for my career not so great i think in the long run and like you say in terms of that balance and because you do need a certain amount of time to rest and process things when you're going through difficult situations um yeah and someone said to me very recently you know um in terms of dealing with difficult stuff we were actually talking about um my binge eating disorder. So I have bipolar disorder, but also binge eating disorder. And she was talking about the the eating side of things, but she also sort of casually mentioned um, that sort of sometimes people can get sort of very sort of obsessively busy as a alternative coping strategy. And when she said that, I really did think, yeah, that's definitely me. Um, actually, I've just had um, a, a full week off of doing nothing, not going anywhere, not doing anything. And I did find that really hard, you know, I didn't, I wasn't going away anywhere. I wasn't, I didn't have any particular project that I was working on. So actually for the first few days, I was really in a bit of a, an odd state. So it's definitely one to work on, I'd say, 
actually learning to relax that sounds a bit sad doesn't it i just can't relax but yeah it's it's true as a society we've normalized right being busy and when we get these opportunities to rest like i always think it's amazing something that i do is you know when it comes around to a break you know i'll take half term off or something like that and like i'm hanging on by a thread and i don't normally notice i am until i stop you know Mm. and we've just normalized haven't we working and um Mm. rest is hard it's like a it's almost like something else to practice and then I start turning rest into something I've got to work on and then that kind of undoes this whole thing about rest because I'm trying really hard and it, it gets really messy for something that should come so naturally I think yeah it's super cheesy but I'm gonna say it anyway like one one phrase that helps me with that is you know we're human beings not human doings so I do, it is all right to just have a day of doing nothing. That's fine. I think we really do in our society, we really sort of over sort of praise so-called, you know, certain achievements. We sort of kind of, our whole, our whole identities can be wrapped up in a certain success or a certain, you know, oh, I'm, I'm this or I've done this. But actually, you know, it's fine to just have a day or a week or a month or whatever you need to just take that time and breathe and, and, and yeah, just live really. <laughs> yeah that's it just kind of just be yeah Yeah. I I think as well when like time slows down and if we're not used to it as well sometimes um we can kind of do things that aren't particular that feel like rest but aren't you know so if I've got time to myself I tend to drift towards my phone and the social media apps and then I sometimes come away from that not feeling great and I think well that was a waste of 20 minutes and you know that it's like we there's a lot of things out there to fill our time aren't there so Mm. there's there's resting as in I don't know, chilling for 20 minutes on your phone or like watching a load of true crime on Netflix or whatever it is. But then I'm not sure how good the quality of rest that is if we do a bit too much of that, maybe. Yeah, for me, definitely getting away from screens is very helpful. So um, again, this is not rocket science, it's not anything new, but just getting out in nature, going for a walk, going for a walk with my dog, um, meditating, having a bath, stuff away from screens because like you said I mean I love tv and I love social media and I'm, I am on it quite a lot but definitely it can take you into a bit of a spiral sometimes and like you say you can one minute you're sort of looking at it and the next thing you've lost two hours so it can be quite nice to just have time away from screens and I know some people find it very helpful to sort of have cut off times like say no more screens after 9 p.m I've tried that and then gone back to it again because you know there'll be programs on that I like watching and then I like tweeting about them so it's but I think that kind of stuff is all right it's it's like you say it's when you actually come away from it and you're feeling sort of bad about it that's that's when you need to sort of think well maybe actually I I should put some limits on this or I might I might want to just think about just not looking at my phone for one day in the weekend or something like that yeah everyone's got a different system i can't be too strict with things if i put a time limit then i will sit and think about it so i'm not on my phone but i'll sit and think about my phone so if i'm too strict with myself then i kind of it plays uh plays games for me but it's interesting what you mentioned there actually uh, you know going for a walk grabbing a bath those sorts of things because i think we really underestimate the power of the small things you know the those little like one percent things and you know they they when mood starts to shift you know because that's the time to catch things right we don't want to catch it at the end we want to catch it at the start and those little things can really turn a day around you know I know I've had days where I've kind of thought oh today's going to be a bad day I can feel it in my bones that today is going to have a bad day and then something small happens or I make the decision to do something that I know is good for me and Mm. it's only a small thing and then that day turns around and it's almost like I've saved the day you know literally but um, Mm. they're important aren't they these small small things 
Yeah, definitely. And finding what works for you again as well, because, you know, for me, a bath would be great for other people. They might not enjoy them at all. Or for me, what, weirdly, a thing that I've realized is quite a meditative thing is chopping up vegetables, which sounds bonkers probably, but like, there's something sort of very, like I can, cause I eat a lot of carrot sticks. So it, like doing a load of them, that sort of is quite a nice thing to sort of, again, get me away from screens and stuff, but other people they'll, they hear that I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> how is that helpful? But yeah, it's uh, something I've been working with my therapist quite a lot is instead of practicing mindfulness is practicing mindlessness and choose find, find more things that where you just kind of like look up at the clock and 10 minutes or 20 minutes has passed. And it, look, cooking's a prime example of that. You know, you can put your music on, you can, you know, like or get organized and get everything done and do your washing up. And it takes however long it takes, depending on what you're cooking. But afterwards you're like, oh, wow, that, that time just went. And that there's really that's been beneficial for me is looking for things where I can kind of just let my mind, you're kind of doing something and then you're also kind of not right. Rather than, you know, I practice mindfulness and I'd sit and try and find my thoughts and watch them and step back from them. And I turn that into a job, you know? So yeah, those little things, chopping vegetables and stuff. It's uh, it can be really handy. I think really, 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 really handy and not to be underestimated. very much. Yeah. So. Well, that's why I love cooking as well. Cause it, there is definitely a joy to it. It's like a small bit of joy in my day especially if I'm sort of trying something new or trying a vegan recipe, which is kind of out of my comfort zone. Um, and then it's, it's a bonus if it tastes amazing. Sometimes it doesn't. I had a, I had a vegetable stew the other day, which ended up being like a sludge, but, <laughs> but if, if, if you've made something and it's, yeah, you're really happy with it as well. It's like you say, the whole process of it, it's a really nice feeling, I think. Um, and you know, that also, I think just that basic feeling of taking care of yourself, if you're making something with good nutritious ingredients, all that sort of stuff, I think is really lovely. Yeah, definitely. It's like, you, yeah, you know that you're backing yourself and you're taking steps to look after yourself and nourish yourself. There's something quite nice. I've never really thought about it. That's a really lovely way to um, to look at to look at it, you know. Um, I was trying to think about uh, last time we spoke, Yvette, which was when uh, that was for your podcast, Mentally Yours. And that was, I in my head, that was like last year, but it wasn't. It was the year before. That was a long time ago. So this is really, really overdue. But I thought uh, Mentally Yours would be a really good place to for us to kind of start today. But when did, um, when did that podcast start because you guys were doing that for a, a really long time yeah that's right so we launched it in 2017 um so there's a fantastic brilliant journalist um so talented uh, called ellen scott and i so at the time um ellen was the lifestyle editor at metro.co.uk and i was the community's editor so i was looking after um bloggers sort of commissioning ex external stuff so at that time we were both in-house at metro.co.uk um, we both also lived with long-term mental health issues, still do. Um, so Ellen was dealing with um, OCD and depression. Um, I've got bipolar disorder and also I've subsequently sort of realized that I've also got binge eating disorder. So that's the more recent sort of bit that I'm dealing with. But at the time we were sort of, we were both um, starting to write about those experiences for Metro.co.uk. And um, we both knew that we wanted to do more in that on the topic of mental health and back there Ben, sorry back then there weren't a huge amount of um mental health podcasts so at that time it was sort of should we should we do a youtube thing or should we do um a podcast and ellen was really adamant it was podcast so we went with that and i'm really glad that we did um because yeah it's been um pretty much every week since then although we've had a short pause um, from the past two months um because um ellen's sadly left us but she's gone on to do more fantastic work at stylist i think she's um she's the deputy editor there um if I'm, i might have got that wrong but it's 
I'm not, yeah, I think she's either deputy editor or deputy online editor. But anyway, um, so yeah, from 2017 um, until now, it's been pretty much every week. And um, so the reason we wanted to set up Mentally Yours is because Ellen and I both struggled with our mental health um, and not just living with a long-term mental illness, but also um, the feeling of being alone with that and sort of feeling that other people might not understand what we were going through. But also we, we kind of both just thought, well, if we're struggling with this stuff, there must be other people out there who are also struggling. And hopefully we can reach some of those people, especially those people who have just been diagnosed. Or, I mean, for me, it was very much about reaching people um, who might have just experienced psychosis. Like for me, when I had my first manic episode, um, I really felt very alone and basically like a total stranger in the world. Um, I, I really didn't feel like anybody could have been through what I've been through. Although obviously now having spoken to so many guests over the years, lots of people have been through um, fairly similar things. Um, obviously lots of other people live with bipolar disorder, lots of other people live with OCD, lots of people have experienced depression. And in terms of our guests, um, we've tried to cover a lot in terms of lots of different um, things. So everything from anxiety to schizophrenia, um, we've had some fantastic guests on as well, chatting about DID, which is Dissociative Identity Disorder. So we've tried really hard to chat to people with lived experience of some of the lesser known um, conditions. Again, just so that if anybody's just been diagnosed with that, or if they've experienced a really tough time, they can have a listen to one of those episodes and just think, well, actually, you know, this person, you know, went through a similar thing. It's obviously, it's unlikely to be exactly the same thing, but, you know, they might have been through a similar thing. And actually they're, you know, they're getting on a bit better today. Things aren't, you know, nothing's ever perfect, but we wanted to show that, you know, it's it's kind of possible, I suppose, to, to live with a long-term mental illness and still, um, I don't know, I don't know if I want to say thrive because that's a bit sort of all oh, succeed, thrive, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it is possible to get better and to be okay and that the life does kind of go on, it can go on. Yeah. And that's so important to hear, isn't it? When you're in that, in that place where you feel like maybe that's not possible, you know, where you feel like, you know, you, there's so much, you have to kind of reevaluate, don't you? And kind of think like, how, how is this going to work for me? How am I going to navigate this life? And then when you hear other people talk about how they did it, well, then just knowing that someone else has is so, 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 um, it's so important, isn't it? It's really, really a comforting thing. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, that is really what we're driving at with the episodes. It is sort of really essentially to help people just because I always think about, yeah, my first manic episode happened when I was 17. And like you say, there's, yes, there is the mental health aspect. There's the illness aspect, but just from an identity point of view, I really struggled with, you know, well, what does this mean for me now? Who am I now? Um, am I going to get to live the life that I intended to leave that? to lead that I wanted to lead? Can I still have a career? Can I still have friends? Can I still have a love life? Can I still have any of this sort of stuff? Because um, basically, I mean, I always just call it going mad because that, that's, that's what it was for me. Um, I just initially didn't know if any of that stuff was possible. Um, so yeah, I suppose that is at the root of it. 
Um, and we've been so lucky because over the years we've had a really like interesting mix of people from all different backgrounds, all different sort of nationalities and um, yeah, and people from all walks of life, different jobs. Um, we've had off the top of my head, we've, we've had a vicar chatting about mental health. Um, oh. We've had people chatting about um, money struggles in mental health and the support, the support that's out there for people who are struggling financially. Um, we had a really um, good episode, one that I'm quite proud of sort of setting up, which was about um, food banks and mental health, because unfortunately we do know that there's a higher proportion of people using food banks um, struggling with mental um, illness. Um, so we set that up with the Trussell Trust. So we chat to a, a brilliant woman on there who talks very openly about her mental health struggles um, and how she at one point used a food bank, you know, and how it's it, it was just a it was just part of her life you know she's she's moved on from that part of her life now but it, all that sort of thing um so we initially started off just chatting about um individual sort of diagnoses or people chatting about what it's like to have say anxiety or schizophrenia but we've also moved on now to like i say money and mental health work and mental health love and mental health all this sort of stuff because we've been going since so for so long now so um yeah that's it pretty much yeah, it's wonderful though, isn't it? Because the more we kind of scratch the surface of this stuff, then you realize all the different things that impact our mental well-being in whatever way, you know, and and stuff like, you know, like money and like work and all this stuff that we have to do. There's a real um, everydayness about it, isn't there? That, you know, we often think of uh, mental health being like these big things and, you know, often they are, but often they're not, right? Often it is just lots of lots of little things that all kind of, add up and it's really important to explore them because people are going through those things right now when they might have no idea that these things can contribute to poor mental health and i, I it, not only the people who are experiencing stuff need to feel seen but I, it helps other people understand right so i was going to ask how speaking to all these different people how has that impacted your understanding of the things that you've been through and the things that you have to deal with day to day? Because we learn so much from others, even if they have a different diagnosis, even from their, for their, from a different place or, or whatever, there's so much crossover, isn't there? There's so much relatability regardless of that. Mm, definitely. I mean, it's an interesting one. Um, we've had, you know, a few different people on chatting about bipolar disorder and I always love that because they're sort of, that's sort of my gang really <laughs> and that's 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 always interesting because it will be people from you know lots of different backgrounds you know men women and um but it's it's also interesting that i'll be having those conversations and there'll occasionally be something that they'll say and i just think oh yeah <laughs> it's you no know, i do that as well and i hadn't really particularly associated that with bipolar disorder because it, you know it's I'm, i mean i'm very sort of aware of what bipolar disorder is and how I experience it, but there's certain sort of aspects to it that I like the impulsiveness and, and things like that, um, that I hadn't, the sort of, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to explain, but there's, there's that little aspects to it that do sometimes come out from conversations that is really interesting and really helpful, but also, um, in terms of my particular diagnosis, um, it's been helpful chatting to those people because it's then also made me realize actually, um, you know, peer support is available. So in terms of bipolar, you know, you've got bipolar UK, they have fantastic peer support groups. Um, th that's not just, you know, that one charity, though, obviously, there's lots of different mental health charities with peer support groups. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because actually, before I was doing the podcast, I was very sort of 
I'm going to fix this, you know, I'm going to deal with my bipolar disorder myself, you know, I'm going to take my mood stabilizers, I'm going to go to my therapy, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm going to literally make a podcast about mental health, but I'm not going to go to um, a peer support group. I'm not going to go to, you know, online groups chatting about it. I'm not going to, you know, talk to other, you know, people with bipolar disorder in a sort of social sense, which is now I say it sounds ridiculous, but actually I think I had a real fear of asking for help and also um, a real fear of fully accepting that I have bipolar disorder, or I, I did at that time, I don't know. But um, so that's that was one really handy thing from doing the podcast. That's one thing I learned, you know, because you can hear it time and time again, when, you know, when you get these mental health campaigns and days, everyone is always sort of saying, oh, it's all right, you can ask for help. And I'd always hear that and be like, yeah, 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 I know I can call the Samaritans. I, I mean, I have called the Samaritans, so I know I can do that. But um, in terms of things like peer support, I really felt, no, not for me, I can do it all, I can fix this, you know, I'm a fixer, I've got all the answers, I do a load of research, I can work it out. But actually, from experience, <laughs> sometimes it's really helpful, like sometimes for me, the Bipolar UK um, website, their forum, I can have a little chat about that very personal situation anonymously, and get some really good feedback from people who really understand what it's like to live with this. Um, yeah. That was a very long-winded answer. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's a lovely answer though, and I was I'm sort of like nodding away because I really identified with that. I really identified that. But um, I think sometimes for me, anyway, from my own experience, when it felt like once I had to admit I wasn't very well. And then suddenly the cat's out the bag and I'm not in control of that situation. Right. And I'm very, very scared of what comes next. So my way of controlling it was to kind of do exactly what you said there, right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to sort it. Um, and in a way you kind of, for me, I was dealing with it as a way to not deal with it. If that makes sense, you know, that was my way of stopping doing all the stuff I was really scared to do by doing all the stuff that is, I know I can do, I can take a tablet and read, you know, like I can do that. That's, that's easy. And there, there is that sort of, yeah, trying to get back in control of things. So I, I really, really um, identified. And I think a lot of people will, and it, it the, the peer support and the stuff that's out there is incredible. Once you kind of speak to a few people and like, just dip your toe in the water. It's amazing what's out there all the time. I always think in our local communities, there's these wonderful people from wonderful organizations that are literally saving lives. And, you know, they're not getting talked about. They're not getting mentioned. A lot of people don't even know that they're out there. And it's just incredible, isn't it? What support actually is out there. Um, that it's just, I suppose, finding out about it is the, is the tricky thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, again, very pleased that we've got to chat to groups like that through the podcast. Um, so again, off the top of my head, um, I think more recently we had Andy's Man Club. Um, we've had, oh God, now I'm going to forget the names of them, which is embarrassing. But we've had, we've chatted to quite a lot of um, peer support groups like that out in the community. And there's, there's such a wide range, whether it's through particular charities or like you say, local ones. Um, it's really just that initial, getting over that initial hurdle of, you know, finding a group. Um, my advice on that would be, you know, maybe start off with the stuff online and then get involved in a forum. And if you feel, if that's been helpful, then think about going to one in, you know, in person or Zoom is fantastic for me now, like Zoom peer support groups, there's so much easier really than, than going in person. Although there is something really to be said also for going in person. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, like one of the, the benefits, we're still kind of working out really what the panic 
the pandemic did for us all right but one of the benefits is now we're all sort of comfortable with the online stuff that maybe that wasn't so much at the forefront before you know some everyone's got a got an option or closer to that anyway um you mentioned your own um experiences of it starting at 17 which is incredibly young isn't it when you when you think about it you know as a as an adult as a grown-up but do you um was there any sort of warning signs did you see anything coming or did that just kind of like kick the door down and, and enter your life yeah so now I look back on it in fact um I actually think I probably had periods of depression as a child so even before I was a teenager um, I can kind of look back and see patches where I had low mood but I had no sort of language for it or I don't know I just sort of felt low um my depression so it was actually the depressive side of my illness that started first so I started getting depressed from 14. Um, so that was when I started having these really sort of bad patches of feeling really low. And the easiest way, I mean, I'll just describe what happened. So I'd feel really awful, not know why, just feel really, really sad. And I remember these times of just locking myself in the bathroom, crying on the floor and really being, I don't know, mystified just I just didn't know why I felt so bad like there was no explanation for it you know I couldn't have told you you know such and such has happened because I just felt so bad at that point um my mum took me to a GP and the the um advice because I was young was things like exercise um and I think that helped a little bit but um yeah so that was sort of from 14 but there were sort of patches but there were also sort of fantastic patches in terms of, you know, being a teenager, having a nice time, you know, having, having that sort of, I was thinking about that recently, you know, like having those fantastic just gatherings with friends and just laughing. I don't know that I've ever laughed as hard as I did when I was a teenager. Like I had a really lovely close group of female friends and we just used to get together and just be really daft and just laugh and laugh. But so I'm not saying that my whole teenage years were a complete sort of, terrible time because they weren't um but there were these patches of depression from 14 and then yeah when I was 17 my first manic episode um so for me it was very sudden really it in terms of what happened so my parents had gone out for a con for a concert um I was emotionally sort of very stressed and I was struggling with sort of school stuff I was I was always very sort of conscientious. So I, I had a lot of sort of stress in terms of that. And um, I'd also been knocked back by a, bo by a boy. Um, so it was all like everything was sort of churning up. And um, I put on some music to try and feel better. It was Janet Jackson. I sort of turned it up really loud. Um, and then from there, I ended up going into a manic episode. Um, and I can still remember patches of it. So although it was a long time ago, I basically thought that I had magical powers. Um, I remember filling up um, bowls with water and flowers and leaving them around the house as part of these spells. Um, I remember my mum taking me to the GP and me trying to convince him that I could breathe underwater. So it was lots of delusions, basically. Um, and during that time, I was my parents were really great. I mean, they looked after me. I wasn't giving any given any medication. Um, I think the manic episode sort of blew itself out really after a few weeks. 
I'm not exactly sure about the time period, but I think it was a, a few weeks. Um, but when it stopped, that was a real shock to the system because obviously at that point, you know, I'm 17, I've realized I've gone mad. Um, I've, I've got no idea about what that means for the future. I feel very kind of ashamed and scared. Um, and also because of the nature of um, bipolar disorder, I also then tanked into a very extreme depression. Um, so that was when I, um, you know, tried to kill myself. Um, thankfully, um, that didn't happen. Um, but I ended up going to a young person's mental health unit. Um, a brilliant nurse actually came out to my parents' house and had a chat to me. And although I hadn't at that point confessed to my parents that I'd tried to kill myself um, because I'd basically taken some stuff and I didn't think I was going to wake up the next morning, but I did. But anyway, so I talked to this nurse about what had happened. Um, and she said, look, do you want to come as an inpatient or an outpatient, you know, and I don't know how she managed to convince me, but I just, you know, I think it was something really superficial, like she was fairly young and I liked her and, and I thought, well, you know, this, this wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So I went along to be um, an outpatient, so I didn't stay overnight, but I went along to this um, young person's mental health unit for, um, oh gosh, I'm not sure now, months basically, um, taking time out of school. And that was a really interesting place. You know, I mean, I met some wonderful people, lots of other young people who were struggling with mental health issues. I suppose that was sort of my first education in terms of mental health stuff, because I was meeting people there who were struggling with OCD, who were struggling with um, quite extreme ADHD, who were struggling with eating disorders, who were struggling with depression and all my age. And although we didn't, although we did have like, there like group therapy sitting together. I sat in those groups and I did not say one word. <laughs> I just wasn't ready at that point. You know, I wasn't ready to accept it. I wasn't, I don't know. I just wasn't there. I did have some very useful meetings um, with um, a brilliant um, psychotherapist who explained the whole mood thing, because although at that point he didn't say say to me you know you've got bipolar disorder I didn't have a diagnosis at that age um he did now I'm looking back at it he did very clearly kind of describe the moods of somebody with bipolar disorder the way that they are essentially more extreme than other people and the way that you know I can naturally go up very high and then very low with periods in between that's how I experience it it's different it's different for everyone but that's that's my experience of it so yeah, so there was that. And um, yeah, lots of other activities at this young person's mental health unit, which now I look back on it, I always think of it as just being like a shit youth club, because it was lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> it was lots of things like um, circus skills, and um, like creative writing, and um, some music things like they, they, we ended up coming up with um a unit song, if you can believe it, which I can still remember <laughs> the, like the tune to it. Um, and I'm laughing at this stuff now, but it was it was helpful because we were all together and we we're all in the same boat at the time. You know, obviously I say obviously, but at the time I didn't feel like I was enjoying it at all. At the time, I was kind of in the state where, you know, I'd tried to kill myself and I was essentially just hanging around, not knowing what 
the future hell now or who I was now or what I should be doing now you know I wasn't in a fit state to be going back to school because I was completely I don't know shattered I suppose um but that sort of time at the unit gave me the breathing space that I needed at that point I they did talk about medication um but I didn't want to go on it at that point um but I eventually did end up sort of feeling better about things and eventually I kind of got I think I just basically got a bit bored and I wanted to go back to to school and I wanted to get my A-levels and I wanted to go to university all this sort of stuff so that sort of drive came back to me eventually and um and yeah that was I'm not going to say that was that because after that there was university and then I had more manic episodes and more depressive episodes and it wasn't till I was 24 that I actually got diagnosed and then decided to go on mood stabilizers. So there was that sort of time between, but um, yeah. But since being on mood stabilizers at 24, I haven't had a manic episode. I've had hypermanic episodes and depression, but things have been a lot better. Um, and yeah, sometimes I just think, gosh, I can't still, I can't actually believe I'm still here really. Cause it's just like sometimes some of the stuff that sort of happened when I was younger. But um, yeah, grateful to still be here. Yeah, and it, you know, I think these things are they're really challenging, they're really hard. But at a young age as well, that's like you know what I think. You know, look, we look back at our younger selves and think, wow, you know, like that's that's like you say, it's a lot, isn't it? A lot to to get through. You know, when you were um going into those manic episodes, um, before you know you knew what was going on, were you aware? what was happening or was it a case of like you feeling like something wasn't quite right or were you just like all in on this is my reality and this is just the normal thing to do i was all in on it so the easiest way that i can describe it is sort of i mean if you think about sort of our day-to-day life now sort of i'm on an even keel and life is sort of fine but i don't know sort of going from that sort of even keel to feeling like it's a it's a very strange feeling but feeling like I had a very definite purpose and that's probably the easiest one to sort of talk about with those spells because I really felt that that was my purpose so there was a big sort of rush to it like having that purpose knowing what I was doing and really getting caught up with it really feeling good about it um and on subsequent manic episodes it's been a sort of a similar thing like really feeling like I had a purpose and like I should be doing certain things um which might sound a bit odd, but um, if you think about sort of our daily lives, you know, we you might have some sort of purpose, but it's kind of, it's like sort of casual things like, oh, well, I better get to work now or I better do this. But it, it was a really sort of almost, I don't know, because I'm not religious, but I would imagine sort of like a, almost a sort of religion, it felt like this that sort of people who are really, really sure about something and really believe in something, that's, that's sort of how I felt. And these delusions. Yeah. It's, it is very strange because I've got no idea where they came from um, or why I was doing the stuff that I was doing. I mean, in a later one, when I was at university, um, one of the things that I did um, is I ended up going out and sleeping on the street for a short amount of time, um, which again was not a great idea because it was very cold. I went to university up north in Hull. Um, not that, you know, 
it would have been particularly safe or it is particularly safe for people to be sort of out in the streets at any time but um yeah but i really had a purpose for doing that like at the time i really felt like you know i needed to do that i think i had a thing in my head essentially that that i should experience that so that i could you know understand homeless people better and that oh my god i mean it's when you look at the sort of beliefs when you're sane again it is it is sort of you do think well what was i thinking but i mean i wasn't thinking i wasn't well yeah that's it yeah it's kind of out of your out of your control right yeah yeah it's um I've, you mentioned like medication there and you know the stabilizers sound like they had a huge huge effect i was i was wondering then you know a lot of for a lot of um mental health conditions not mental illness diagnosis we recommend um you know like therapy right so we're all told to like go to therapy and i was wondering in the in the case of bipolar um is therapy something that helps because obviously therapy is about you know making the unconscious conscious and understanding and stuff like that but if a manic episode is is driven by something that's out of your control it's not normal like you're not exploring your own thoughts right because these are thoughts that have, are driving you that are not every day is, is therapy a useful tool for bipolar is that something that is um has helped you or that's such an interesting question because i've been thinking about this recently and i'm lucky in that i have had quite a lot of therapy over the years um and i think therapy has helped me in terms of i don't know i think therapy does help me with the depression side of things um and sort of examining negative thoughts or feelings around that although if i'm honest i still feel like with the depression side of things and that, that sort of that is sort of that does feel sometimes like it is out of control in the way that you know mania is out of my control and that there, there is generally an element if i'm honest where when those episodes still happen i i'll have a mindset of of thinking well I've been through this before. I'm just going to have to get through it, which might not be the best way. But, but anyway, if I'm honest, that is it. In terms of therapy, yeah, I have had a lot of therapy. A lot of it has been um, traditional talking to somebody and ranting and all this sort of stuff. I'm not actually sure how helpful it has always been. I think initially, maybe it's been helpful. I think it may have been helpful, but in ways that are not obvious so for example the last therapist that i went to i saw her for two years um and i did a lot of sort of ranting about um stress i was under certain work situations things like that and i think although we didn't uh, although it wasn't really specifically about my bipolar disorder i think she helped me sort of see where i was making life harder for myself in fact because at that point i was working um you know, in-house at, at, at newspapers. And from speaking to her, I decided to go freelance because now I'm freelance, it does afford me, you know, a lot more control over my working hours. Um, it's a totally different work environment. And um, yeah, so it's, and obviously stress is something that, you know, I should be, able to, <laughs> there are basic things that I know that help my bipolar disorder or make it worse. So for example, getting enough sleep is important. You know, trying to reduce stress is important, getting exercise, trying to eat well. So in terms of the therapy, yes, I would say she did help me to see there are certain things that I'm 
doing certain stresses that I'm taking on that actually there are there are things that I could change in my life that could be better for me you know I, I could be doing different things and that would actually make me healthier but it, it is a it's a big sort of but because for me yeah mood stabilizers are the real game changer or they have been for me personally everybody's different but they have been the real thing that's made a huge difference i mean the therapy that i've been to has also been very um traditional very sort of all talk about your feelings i haven't actually done um a lot of um cognitive behavioral therapy and i haven't done a huge well i haven't done any um Oh, I forget what it, what it's what it is, but is it EDMR? E- okay, I always get yeah. I always get the um the name wrong, but anyway. So there's lots of different types of therapy, is what I'm saying, and I am thinking about maybe trying a different type at some point. Um, I've also tried hypnotherapy, and hypnotherapy is a funny one, isn't it? Because I've no idea if that worked or not. Like it, <laughs> it, it might have been very helpful. Like it might have stopped me getting depressed at one point, but I don't know because. Who's to say yeah. <laughs> that they, they literally, I mean, I, it worked in the sense that I, I had the feeling of basically going to sleep for a bit and sort of like, so they were saying stuff and something might've gone into my subconscious, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, that might've saved my life for all I know at some point when I've been depressed, you know, you know during, during low periods that might've stopped, stopped me doing something, but at the same time, yeah, hypnotherapy is a very strange one to think about. That's not a route that I've gone down hugely I did try it a bit when I was younger so yeah overall in answer to your question with therapy I think it can be beneficial because it can help you to see how you can have a healthier lifestyle um but is but I don't think it's the be all and end all for me there's definitely other aspects to to sort of managing bipolar disorder and for me mood stabilizers have been huge yeah I suppose you know with therapy I suppose you know you're a human being who is navigating life with the additional challenges that come from having bipolar disorder and while therapy might not be useful for the bipolar disorder bit there's then the the whole human navigating the human experience where you know therapy can be useful so it's like Mm. yeah it's kind of one thing i would say about that is um yeah therapy is interesting as well because i mean i think for me with my bipolar disorder how i see it is it's very much um, to do with genetics, you know, there is a family history of it for me. And so I see it as a quite um, physical as well as a mental thing, really. So, I mean, and again, I, there were there were aspects of my childhood that were a bit challenging, but, you know, I didn't have, I think what I'm trying to say is I didn't have some massive childhood trauma, which ended up with me having bipolar disorder. I can't speak for anyone else, but my experience has been, we have a history of it in my family. I've ended up having it. And um, I'm like, you know, the way that I've managed it is through medication and some therapy, but also things like meditation. And like I say, the diet and exercise and peer support, all these other things. Yeah. I just think when it's in the family history as well, it gets really, really complicated because, you know, if we think there's a lot of stigma about mental illness now, go back a generation, then go back another one. And I think sometimes these things can go so far back up the family tree, but of course they weren't getting talked about, right? Mm. Like we don't, you know, there is, there's, it's very much, um, 
a lot of, uh, you know, yeah, you only have to go back a couple of generations and there's loads of stuff they didn't talk about, right? It was just pretend mm. all these things didn't, didn't happen. So I suppose that gets, gets tricky. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You mean, um, sorry. Um, you mentioned your, um, uh, relationship with food as well, Yvette. And was, is that something that's been kind of ongoing throughout this time of learning to navigate bipolar as well? Has that always been a, um, a tricky relationship? Yes. Although I, what has helped me is sort of realizing how my bipolar disorder and binge eating disorder can tie together. So when I realized that how it linked, it was really a light bulb moment because for me, when I'm depressed, um, I tend to eat a lot. I can turn to food in the way that some people who are depressed might turn to alcohol or might turn to drugs or might turn to sex even or whatever it is, shopping, gambling, you know. But for me, um, in the past, I've turned to food in a very extreme way. So we're not talking about, you know, having a chocolate bar to feel a little bit better. We're talking, <laughs> we're talking, going to going to Tesco's, filling up a whole sort of trolley with cakes and sweets and biscuits and you know pizza and just everything that is not very healthy but i felt was comforting and it, it was yeah so realizing that there was that sort of link has been helpful um it hasn't cured it um because again i mean this is the thing like i've um I go to peer support groups in to help me with binge eating disorder. They have been really sort of crucial, but going to them is a huge sort of learning process. And I mean, I went to those support groups before I even went to the doctor about an eating disorder. And I'm really only at the beginning of trying to deal with the NHS about that side of things. And to be honest, um, my doctor is kind of open-minded and supportive, but I don't know, eating disorders are interesting because I think they're still quite angled towards people struggling with anorexia or um, bulimia. But if it's binge eating disorder, um, I think people don't really understand it so much. Or what tends to happen when I go to the GP is they see a certain weight and that's the problem. And don't get me wrong, it is also a problem for me because, you know, I want to be healthy and, you know, all that stuff. But um, but for me, I know the root of all that stuff is emotions and emotional eating and trying to make myself feel better with food. So I'm essentially in the process now of coming at it from dealing with the emotions, almost forgetting, almost not not fully, but almost forgetting about weight and and not forgetting about food, but getting to the root of it. That's that's where I am with that. Um, yeah. And I, I think I've, I probably used food to kind of feel better from a very young age, but I don't think that's uncommon. You know, when I was younger, if I was sort of struggling with stuff, I'd eat sweet stuff, not to a huge extreme, but I think it was more when I got a bit older and I was, you know, taking on too much stuff at work, you know, overworking, that's when I'd be sort of propping myself up with sugar and then in the evenings eating very unhealthy food and then at the weekends feeling like food was going to be a treat and yeah it's um food's an interesting one but um i'm learning to have a better relationship with it ship with it now yeah like it is an interesting one right it's really really interesting it's like i sometimes feel like as a society the most the stuff that's supposed to be 
the simplest stuff is the stuff that we've complicated the most, you know, food, drinking water, you know, sex, exercise, all these things. These are the things that are really problematic for human beings. And yet they're supposed to be like the bedrock, right, of being a human being. Um, but it's interesting. I think a lot of people will relate to when you talk about the underlying drive it, driving reasons, um, because essentially the food could be anything, wasn't it? Like you, you like you kind of said yourself, you know, it could be drink. It could be you know, it could be sex. It could be absolutely anything that people that people do to feel better when they don't feel good. And that's really hard, isn't it? Really hard when that thing is normalized, when it's around us all the time, when it's so hard to escape from, when people don't understand that relationship then it's really 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 hard there's a lot of um it's just a parallel to kind of mental illness really i think there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of shame around being mentally unwell and there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of shame around food and people's relationship with food and they're very very hard feelings to navigate i think yeah particularly in like the the society that we're in which is, i would say is fairly fat phobic i mean um I, again like the support groups that i've been through to to help with my eating disorder have been really fantastic in terms of seeing that for what it is and actually thinking, well, you know, it's all right for other people to have opinions like that, but that that's not my opinion. You know, I can, I think in terms of the whole sort of size thing and, and weight thing, you know, I was very, one of the, the problems was I was really internalizing a lot of the hatred that people can have to sort of different size bodies, people that look a different way. So I was being incredibly hard on myself and I had this really weird dual thing going on, which was essentially feeling like I desperately needed to feel better. And, you know, I might feel lonely or tired or just really stressed and then sort of almost kind of being driven to the food to feel better. So I had that going on, but then I would wake up the next morning and absolutely hate myself because at the same time as eating all this food, I would also desperately want to be a size 10. So yeah, this whole thing has been in terms of, you know, improving a relationship with food, I've been trying to get away from that sort of mentality of thinking, you know, I have to be a certain weight, I have to be a certain size, you know, I'm not a worthy human being if I'm not a size 10, you know, I'm an, I won't be lovable if I'm not a size 10. I had all this sort of stuff about, you know, I'll never have a boyfriend if I'm not a certain size, or I'll, I'll never be fully successful if I'm not a certain size. It was, when I think about it, I really have been a total bitch to myself a lot of the time in my head and that's that's not uncommon isn't it sort of with mental illnesses in general you know that sort of certainly i'm used to that from depression you know that whole the messages that we get from depression in terms of you know from you know well don't bother going to see your friends or they don't really like you or, or they haven't replied to that message because you know they, they don't actually like you little things like that to the really serious stuff which is you know like you know basically you, you shouldn't be here which is the worst um yeah all that sort of all that sort of negativity i'm really sort of trying to get away from and be kinder to myself um which is an interesting process but i think i am less of a bitch to myself one of the new year's resolutions that i made um a few years ago now was simply to be kind to myself. And actually for that year, I found it quite hard. I find it easier now, but I realized that I actually had these ridiculous sort of standards for myself and was just constantly telling me myself these messages that weren't helpful. Um, 
and yeah sorry i really waffled i feel not at all <laughs> sorry if not at all that's um <laughs> that's where the magic happens i think and i'm so grateful of it just for your your you know your openness and um you know your your way to like articulate your experiences and um yeah i'm just really really grateful for um for your sharing and you know thank you for it it's um yeah that whole being kind to yourself it's tricky right it's so so tricky and mm. i um it's something i had to do a lot of work on and i'm a lot better at it and then something happened a few weeks ago and this like horrible thought about myself flashed through my head and i kind of i could almost i was amazed how comfortable it felt after trying really hard and been going for a really like positive patch for quite a while of sort of training myself not to think like that, because I didn't know I was like, I was a bitch to myself too. Right. And I didn't know I was even doing it until it was pointed out to me. And then I was mm. like, Oh wow. This is like, this is so embedded in me that it wasn't even a, I wasn't even, you know, like it wasn't, I wasn't falling out with myself and making friends the next day. You know, this, that was my inner monologue was just mean and nasty. Um, mm. But when I had like a little, you know, a little thing the other week and it felt so comfortable, it felt like coming home, you know, and it felt horrible. It didn't feel nice, but there was a comfort to it as well. And I think we just get used to kind of behaving in that, in that way. And it's ridiculous. I know it's like a real classic. They always say like, you know, speak to yourself, how you'd speak to your best friend and stuff like that. But some of the words that I would use against myself, I would never say to another human being, never, even mm. when I didn't like, you know, like it just, I wouldn't speak like that. And yet we do it to ourselves and it's such a strange thing. It's also really common how, you know, I bet it must've come up on mentally yours many, many times, right. In different facets and different forms. It's, um, it's just something we kind of do a little bit and it's, it's sad, isn't it? I think it's sad. It is, but it is useful. Like when you are, you start to be aware of it, it, I had, it is very helpful. And like you say, just that thing about trying to speak to yourself, like a friend for me, in terms of the food, one thing that helps me is, you know, thinking about, um, you know, is this a meal that I'd want to give to my niece and nephew because they're sort of my most treasured people in the world? Would I speak to them like this? If it's if it's a no, then you know, come on, what's going on? You know, would I would I feed them this meal? Y yes or no? That's that's sort of quite helpful. And in terms of yeah, being kinder, um, there's a wonderful book called The Kindness Method, which I found very helpful. It's a very sort of specific in terms of helping you improve your self esteem. And people talk about self-esteem um, and it feels like a very kind of airy fairy concept, you know, like I've, you know, it's been banded about, I've heard it for years and stuff, but I hadn't really thought, oh, actually I might be struggling with it or, you know, what should I do? But I found that the stuff that she, is laid out in that book, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky one, self-esteem, isn't it? Because it, you immediately, I, I do anyway, immediately think of like, um, I'm also, as well as like wanting to kind of work on my self-esteem, I also don't want to come across as cocky. I don't want yeah. people to think I've got a big head, you know, like, so you kind of get <laughs> just trapped in the way. You don't want to say nasty things, but you don't want to big yourself up too much. And you end up kind of like doing neither of those things. But yeah, self-esteem, I think is more, um, more subtle than that, isn't it? You know, and looking for the, looking for the, the good rather than um, maybe shouting about the achievements is looking for the small, small good things. Someone once recommended to me, like, um, you know, when we do nice things for other people, like when we give back in some way um you know then it kind of like it makes you feel better about yourself because you can't be a piece of shit if you're doing nice things for something so as, as well as you know thinking about giving those meals to your um 
niece and nephew as well as like the, the food quality as well it's like you know you're also thinking about like caring for others and that's a really nice quality you know all those little, like little things and that's just something that's always stood out to me uh, you know it's from that but um there we go mate we're approaching the hour mark of it so i'm gonna start to uh to take this home um where where are you at, at the moment where's um where's mentally yours at you mentioned you're on a little break at the moment are you are you coming back is that in the works yes so we're coming back um, the aim is to come back, um, hopefully in March or April. Um, we've got some great guests lined up, so tune in. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audio Boom. And um, yeah, as I've mentioned, um, Ellen's uh, moved on to Stylist now, um, so it'll just be me, um, but still chatting to some fantastic people. These days, we kind of have a mix of everyday people um, struggling with mental health issues um also we have the odd celebrity on there but that's not sort of the whole focus it's just kind of like a nice bonus sometimes we have um yeah so that's that's the next thing and then um we're also looking at um doing some video stuff so that should be exciting as well yeah sure will that be weird like um pressing record without ellen by your side after all these years will that be uh that'd be unusual at first huh yeah it's it's very strange actually because um she's such a fantastic presenter and and host and she's just a really fantastic journalist as well you know and um i think we work together really well because because we both have long-term health mental health issues i think what happened a lot of the time would be one of us might be struggling a little bit so the other one would pick up the slack and, and then vice versa so that was a really good i mean we were lucky that we were kind of that we understood that about each other i think um and that we could work together like that um, so yeah, she is very much missed. Um, but I will sort of do my best to, to keep the podcast going and, um, hopefully, you know, hopefully it will be helpful to, to listeners going forward. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, you know, it's lovely that relationship and having that person that you can kind of just, um, have that bad day or that bad week or whatever, and know that they will, will cover for you. And I suppose that's what with podcasting about mental health or writing about it, or, you know, tweeting about it or whatever it is people do about mental health. That's the sort of, that's what we're trying to create, right? That's that kind of, uh, you know, aspect of society we're looking to, to change rather than the stigmatized and the negative thoughts about this stuff is just people being able to just kind of ride that wave and be accepted for it along the way. Right. That's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the aim. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That was a very hippie ending from me there, mate. I've, um, <laughs> ride the way. <laughs> no, I love way. it. That's my, uh, my true colours coming out. A bit of a hippie on the slide. Um, mate, I've, I've enjoyed chatting to you so much today. It was lovely to, uh, lovely to chat again. And thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast.